Good evening, Sean. Good evening. I'll be solo here. John will join me again one day, but for now he's encouraged me to record some solo thoughts, which I will do. And as we often do in unexamined education, I hope to be providing a take on things that's a little bit different, a little unique. The springboard for tonight's monologue is the all-too-talked-about situation in the AI world of ChatGPT. I'm not going to talk too much about that and its educational consequences, but I do appreciate something about it that I think is good for us to realize is is an analog for the student situation. If you don't know, if you somehow don't know, ChatGPT is an artificial intelligence that can produce human-sounding text with a prompt. Uh, It's so effective at this that it's passed various exams uh, and can uh, it, it can write uh, coherently and speculate and the threat to the educational world is obviously well I guess you know it's perceived as a threat to some and then others just see it as another tool for students to use and I don't really need to get into that I, I do find it somewhat amusing though because uh, one of the headlines is something along the lines of, you know, this is the end of high school English because you can just put your prompt in to chat GPT and tell it how many words and you'll get a decent essay out of it. And uh, there's discussions about whether it's plagiarism or not. And I think all of that, anyone who wants to go back and listen to our other episodes will know probably where we come down on that. But uh, certainly, uh, is there value in students' writing? It uh, forces a certain amount of uh, thinking and organization and oftentimes insights that you don't get from just sitting and talking or discussing something with friends will come out in, a, in, a, in an essay. Uh, however, I don't want to really get into that too much because it's just so early. We'll see how it plays out. But... Rather, I would, re- I would like to talk about how this technology works and how it is a good analog for uh, the student situation. And there's, I guess, the technique uh, behind training these AIs is called uh, deep learning. And, they, they, you know, they've done other, other programs have demonstrated, like, impressive abilities to... Uh, go through this deep learning and come up with and, and, and come out with tasks that uh, that can be performed quite narrowly but quite a, quite efficiently and effectively and this deep learning uh, the way I understand it is you have just a bunch of inputs you have a you know you have a program uh, that you train to uh, recognize something or do something and the way you train that program is is you give it a bunch of inputs and the capability of making different connections 
and its programming and and then it can learn from a sort of positive reinforcement from the programmer if it's if its output is acceptable and that middle part there is the the part that is really interesting because programmers who are making this don't even necessarily know what sort of connections the uh, the AI is making. And so you have this, uh, it's been called like a black box, which uh, it doesn't seem like the right name because black box records everything. And anyway, we, we have to we have to just let that go, I suppose. But it's been called a black box because you can't see inside of what's going on with the program. Uh, or if you can, then you would see just so much data that you can't really interpret how the, the program has trained itself in order to output uh, acceptable outputs. So this ignorance, this ignorance that we have of how the AI is working has some people concerned, especially when the AI produces things that are uh, show a bias uh, um, or or give uh, you know completely false information. Jonathan, in fact, played around with ChatGPT and asked it questions about a, a short story that he'd read, and the the ChatGPT you know wrote long answers about it, but the, the, the answers were just wrong, but it was very well composed, right? And, uh, and so you, you have this erroneous information that can come out of the, uh, of the AI, but you don't know how you, me, none of us, uh, and including my understanding, the programmers don't necessarily know how or why that happens or, or how to stop it. Uh, there's a uh, a bunch of interesting cases online. I mean, that are easy to look up where the where the Chat GPT or similar AI uh, seems to go off the rails. I mean, in, in ways that are just shocking in terms of making the the person interacting with it uh, think that the 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 AI is uh, is conscious is conscious. Um, so. This middle place where the inputs are transformed into an output, where a bunch of inputs are transformed into a very small output, uh, that's the mysterious place. And the, the reason it's a nice analogy, of course, like if you, you know, aren't, haven't predicted it yet is, is that that's exactly what we're doing in education with students, with human beings. We're giving them inputs and we're expecting a certain output. Now, we as educators like to think that our curricula are designed in order to make that middle part, that part where the inputs go into the brain and get, um, and connections are made between neurons, that we make that super efficient and that students come out of education with like the appropriate outputs because our brilliantly designed curricula 
uh, and and I would and and I would say like prior to the Chat GPT analog, I, I would happily question that. Uh, but this uh, this conversation that we're having about AI is kind of the precise conversation we need to be having about education in general. And uh, for us to not do that is, is for us to sort of miss an opportunity because the, uh, the amount of connections possible in the human brain uh, far exceed anything that any of these programs are, are touching as far as like uh, uh, various nodes that can communicate with each other. And to suppose that we have come into education with a curriculum that essentially assumes that all of neuroscience has been figured out, that we understand it, can apply it individually to a specific person, <laughs> and we will get what we want out of it. Like, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Uh, the... <laughs> the fact that students learn anything, I would say, like at this point in my career, the fact that students learn anything from set curricula is astonishing. And it just shows the incredible intelligence of, of humans and the incredible stickiness of traditional approaches. It's probably a good time for like a confession time here, right? <laughs> you know, the is about the middle of the night here in March first, so I might as well like put this out there. Uh, I don't feel that I've been competent as a teacher in any of the subjects that I was formally trained to teach and when i say any like that that's one general subject english uh with a bunch of specific applications be it like british literature american literature rhetoric uh, things like that uh, and i've had 17 years right of well <laughs> i kind of removed myself from teaching english after you know, realizing that, but I've never felt competent to, to teach that. And it, it's not that I've never felt that I didn't know what to do. I mean, I, I would say until last year, which is the last year that I put myself through it, uh, until last year, I always knew what to do. I always knew what was next. And I was always willing to to run out the next lesson. But I, I'd never felt like what the I never felt like what the students were taking away was anything like what I was expecting them to take away. If I had a theory that I'd want to teach them about, for instance, ethos, pathos, logos, right? The the the, the rhetorical uh uh strategies that, that we all love to teach with Shakespeare's Julius Caesar and such things like that. If I had some theory, right, about what they should take away from that, and I had clarity, let's say I had clarity about 
uh, and side note here, oftentimes when I was really like driven by, you know, a, a set, um, let's say district, um, curriculum, uh, oftentimes I would find myself in, in great discomfort about whether or not I even understood what I was supposed to be teaching, uh, because I, I just felt like the, um, the literature, because you'd always have like a short story or a book, and then you'd be teaching some, con, some concept with it. And to me, it would always be like some, uh, it, it, would, it would massively undermine the overall experience of literature to say like, okay, now let's talk about the imagery in this piece. And it, you know, it might highlight one specific spot, but at the cost of a of a larger uh, experience that um, the, the, the literature was you know probably originally written to uh, elucidate or or to uh, elicit rather. But the thing that students take away, right? Sure, okay. If I wanted to drill them and I wanted to say, okay, here's the theory. I want you to here's the inputs. Give me this output. And I might have that theory in place. And if I really needed them to do it, you know, it felt like some important test was coming up. I'd expose them to a bunch of different examples, right? And try to talk through a bunch of different examples, have them write essay after essay to try to see if they could analyze the, the work and, and, say what they were supposed to say and uh and you know there were students who could just do it and then there were students who uh generally didn't seem to care about doing it uh there were students who really struggled with it who really tried to do it but just didn't quite understand like there was something that wasn't clicking with them and i would struggle to find a, a path in and so it was not at all that i felt like the theory i was coming into was at all getting taught. It was more like there were students where that theory fit into their schema for understanding the world. And so all I had to, so all they were really doing was just like attaching words to it. Uh, this is, and so it was like a vocabulary lesson for them, which is much simpler, right? Much simpler than a, an analytical task. But even vocabulary, right? Vocabulary itself, the way you approach vocabulary, we always, I always approached vocabulary every year because I just was such a big fan of this approach of root words. Teach the root words and get the students to uh, be able to learn those root words and attach that root word meaning to other words more easily and, and see the connections and language and build up their Latin and their Greek. And, and again, it was like there were, uh, and, and it's not that you could not teach a word, like a, teaching a word to someone is not that hard if you have enough time and examples and patience, even like a very difficult concept, you know, will come across. But the, uh, the sort of like input the, the point of teaching a word is, is, is for the students to learn, appreciate, and understand the word in the wild and to use the word if necessary, if it's a good word to use. 
but that's not what we're doing, right? What what we're doing when we teach a word is we're we're teaching the word to the point where the output is acceptable, right? And so teaching a word becomes a lot more like, okay, look for this key root word. That key root word means across or something. Uh, and now apply that to, you know, to the suffix of the word and which means change. And now you can put the definition together and, and you know, the word is transmute or something. Right. And, and because that's something that's just sort of like trainable, I can say X and you say Y, uh, and we know humans can do that. That's a lot easier to do, but that whole idea, that ideal of vocabulary, that just, you know, that just wasn't something that a student walked away with unless the student already was like thinking about those things or already seemed to have something in place to bring that information in. And, and which is, which is why a lot of times vocabulary, like real learning of vocabulary like this is comes from students who are big readers and who, who love to write. And it just is, you know, words are, words are already interesting for them. They've already done the deep learning. They've got a black box, right? And all the students have a black box. And there's certain things we can put into the black box and we know it will come out, right? We can say, if I say X, you say Y, and we just say it over and over until it happens, right? Because it's so simple. But anything that has any complexity to it, it's just a hope. It's just this hope. And what it does is it shows that there's this, <laughs> there's a, a, a strong bias in education for students whose minds, and there's this, like, I don't even know what to do about this bias, <laughs> but whose minds have a certain set of deep learning activities where the theory comes in and integrates into that deep learning in a way where the uh, sort of a nuanced output can 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 result and those students can distinguish themselves from other students, right? Uh, I have no problem at all with seeing human intelligence in this like really mechanistic uh, way of like it's just neurons connecting and, and how student, the students' inputs over time. I'm interested to know what John thinks uh, when it comes to that and maybe he'll give us a response. But uh, but yeah, that's you know that's that's confession number one is I've never never felt really at ease with this uh, this thing that I'm supposed to teach that I was trained to teach. And then the confession two is is the things that I was not formally taught are the things that I most am most comfortable teaching. Uh, not always. There's the, like I I've taught uh, uh, I tried to teach a government course. I think I talked about this last semester and I was trying such <laughs> different things that I, I really just sort of lost a grasp on, on, on what, what we were doing in there. But, but the, but other courses like uh, economics, which I'm not trained in economics, but which is kind of simple to expose students to a lot of economic activity 
Uh, and so you give them a lot of learn self-learning opportunities. Uh, philosophy, I don't know why I felt more comfortable teaching philosophy. I've sort of lost that, but I think it's, but it's interesting because philosophy is something I, that was self-taught for me. It was, a, it, I read a lot of philosophy in the three years in between my first teaching career and my second teaching career. It just was interesting for me at that time in my life. And uh, bizarrely, and sort of paradoxically, really paradoxically, I decided that, oh, I could be a philosophy teacher, which is like kind of a silly conclusion to come to when I just went through three years of reading philosophy on my own and thinking about it on my own as a person not in a stable job. <laughs> and uh, and then I'm like, oh, I'll just go sit in this air-conditioned box with a bunch of kids and I'll spout philosophy. Uh, but I certainly felt more comfortable with it because I had a lot of control over how I approached it. Uh, but really, like, philosophy, there's a self-selection to students who would come to a philosophy class because they're like, oh, I want to learn philosophy. I don't have to take this class. And so they're they're all already thinking about this stuff. So you can't, I can't really count them as, as I think really experienced to help me further develop this thinking on the black box. And with economics, students have exposure like they, in their black box of experience, they've had exposure to economic activity. And so you know the 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 thing to do is is to try to help them further understand that exposure, give them more opportunities to do it. And so my you know approach in economics is is to see what see what we can what kind of economy we can we can make. This isn't teacher tips. I mean, this is so dumb. Like, right? Because it's like I don't. I didn't, my my whole point here is, is I don't know what the damn answer is. I all I know is is that I see students. Every student ever is coming to me with like a unique set of experiences that one might call a black box, and that unique set of experiences informs how they are going to turn inputs into outputs, and <laughs> the thing we call curricula or curriculum I keep saying curricula because i'm trying to be like proper with the plural right but i, I don't like the sound of it the, the, so the thing we call curriculum is, is nowhere near powerful enough to overcome the experiences of a person in order to grab whatever experiences they've ever had chunk it into a nice little theory so that they can go forth with that theory and anytime they have future experiences that might have to do with that thing, they can just understand that thing through the theory that we gave them. I mean, it, it is absurd. And I hate to say that uh, because there's so many like good things happening in education. There's so many good people out there. But the idea that we can uh, somehow account for something that's vastly more complicated than the AI that's been produced that we don't understand, that we 
openly say we cannot understand this. The way it's done is not understandable. And we come in and we say, yeah, well, I mean, if we understand it, then let's, let's help out, you know, Microsoft and say, hey, so your bot is going a little out of control, showing a little bias. Well, we've got a curriculum for you. Just have your bot read this and then analyze it and then talk about it at length. And <laughs> you might as well try that. I mean, but it's, it's not going to work. Uh, it's not going to work any better than it works with, with people, which is it will work on like one-tenth of one percent of the people out there. Uh, everyone else, everyone else, and what everyone else does is remarkable. Like, because uh, uh, the, the students who do not, right, who do not take the theory and go forth, and I am, I'm a, I do not have formal longitudinal studies in place, but I'm very good at keeping up with uh, former students. And what, <laughs> what I can tell you is they don't come to me later and say, wow, that, that ethos, pathos, and logos unit was so interesting. I've applied that when I saw a Super Bowl commercial or something. Like, no one cares about that. They want to they want to talk about the good times that we had, right? That's that's the overwhelming thing that happens. And the students who and, and students who get through the various hoops that we put up in education for them to jump through, right? So there's there's that one tenth of one percent. I'm just the reason I'm saying one tenth of one percent is because I think I once heard that one tenth of one percent of students went to college in like 1901, but. Uh, and so, I, so I, that's where that number's coming from. It's not an official number. Uh, but so what 99.9% what .9 of what everyone else is doing who's not taking that theory and is not seeing that theory against their experience and saying, oh, wow, what a wonderful, efficient way of processing things. What the other 99.9% .9 of them are doing is they're playing along. I mean, really, there's uh, an amazing patience of young people for how we older people tell them how to be. And you, you, you have to love them for it because my God, like I look on it and I look at some uh, practices in the classroom and, and I just, I'm just depressed because it, it just doesn't seem like things are working. We know this student is not learning something, but the student shows up day after day and uh, and listens and tries or pretends to listen and pretends to try. But in any case, shows like a, a hell of a lot of respect. Uh, and so I, I see that pretty much all the time. And then there's students and, and there's, and it's not to say that there's not general learning going on, but I, I think I want to, point out that there's this general learning would happen with or without the curriculum. I really think that. I think if you want a student to learn math, you don't have to deliver a curriculum in math. If you want a student to learn English, you don't have to deliver a curriculum in English. You just, you just got to give them exposure. 
say these are things that are happening. These are like numbers. And if you do this to the numbers, then the numbers change. These are words. If you do this to the words, it does this to a person's mind sometimes, right? Uh, and to just do that over and over and see what happens in the black box. Give them interesting things for the black box and see what the black box does with it. And I don't think we do near enough of that. We jump right to like, we've got a theory, put it in the black box to see if it comes out, didn't come out, let's try again. And then the students have to figure out what's the game here. Okay, the, the teacher wants something from me. What's the game? And then they, they create like a little subroutine in their black box that has like no humanity to it, <laughs> no connection to their lives, except this like classroom experience. And they get this subroutine. They're like, okay, if this input comes in, do this, then do this, then do this, then do this, and then check your work and then output it. Right. And, uh, that's not a subroutine that is going to have any sort of like staying power in a human's mind. I feel like I need to make the disclaimer for our, uh, for John. It's like, it's, this isn't math. This isn't a math thing. It's a math, science, English. I mean, it's, it's any subject where the supposition is, is that I can deliver a theory about things to a student who has unique personal experiences and count on that theory consolidating a, an unknown set of experiences into a nicely packaged understanding that the student will spit out. That's what I have to say about this. <laughs> As I sit in my attic with the microphone, this is like, what is our world right now? Like, I, and I know I'm not the only one, you know, there's people sitting in all sorts of places recording themselves with all their thoughts, right? <laughs> we all are doing this thing, right? We're all trying to make sense of the black box that is our lives. And we're trying to get it out there for God's sake so that, so that something can be better. I don't think there's any wisdom here. If you're paying attention, then the only reason any of what I'm saying will make sense is because your unique set of experiences allows this to make sense to you. I just think it might have a better shot at making sense because kind of being all over the place, that's what our life is like, pulled in all sorts of directions. And if we expect anything to make sense to someone's unknown set, of experiences it's probably probably a bit of randomness and it might be why we delight in certain random acts that's just the theory though i have no idea how to wrap this up give young people more interesting inputs please that's how i'll wrap it up more interesting inputs don't worry so much about the outputs. There will be plenty of high-performing outputters. Don't you worry about it. 
give them more interesting inputs.